We recently decided to start doing video interviews. The idea is to make them available on Rumble, YouTube, and wherever else folks post conservative videos. However, we intend to still provide audio versions here. So if you want to actually see the video interviews, check out the Doc Washburn Show channel on Rumble or YouTube. Now, here's the audio for the video. Oh, hi. Welcome to the Doc Washburn Show. Our guest today is Michael Volpe. He has been a freelance journalist since 2010, focusing on political, police, corporate, and nonprofit corruption. He gives a voice to the voiceless with true original reporting on topics the rest of the media is too afraid or too lazy to cover. Kind of stuff I like to do on the Doc Washburn Show. So he's a guy after our own hearts, right? He writes at michaelvolpe.substack.com. If you're not familiar with Substack yet, you need to get familiar with it. Because, again, there are a lot of people writing there about a lot of stuff that traditionally talk radio and media, including Fox these days, doesn't even want to get anywhere near. It's an honor to be able to amplify Michael Volpe's voice today. Mike Volpe. Thank you for coming on the Doc Washer Show. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Fantastic. Now, I used to do local talk radio in Little Rock, Arkansas. In early 2015, I became aware of a story that shocked me. The state of Arkansas had taken seven minor children away from Halla Michelle Stanley, a Christian homeschooling mom and dad in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Even though there were no signs of abuse, and it took many months for the Stanleys to get their children back, even though the state knew they were in the wrong. The story shocked and horrified me, and I tried to use my bully pulpit of having a talk radio show in Little Rock, Arkansas, to let people know about it. But I was shocked to find out such a thing was possible. Now, you have been covering family court abuses for years. Matter of fact, you recently described the family court system in Missouri as -hmm. being out of control. You've even gone so far to describe them as a criminal enterprise. But Missouri can't be alone. Most people don't ever think about this issue until and unless it affects them. What do my viewers need to know about the family court system, not just in Missouri, but probably in most of our 50 states? All right. Well, several things. First of all, I've seen some statistics uh, between 33 and 40 percent of children will have an interaction with Child Protective Services or whatever it happens to be called. So if you're one of those people who says, I don't have to worry about CPS because I'm a good parent, well, anywhere from a third to two-fifths of kids will be interact with CPS. That interaction may be an interview. It may be not a big deal, and that's probably what the majority of those interactions will be. But don't think it doesn't affect you. Uh, as far as uh, as family court, you know, we got one in two marriages end in divorce, and then we have all kinds of uh, – Kids that are born out of wedlock, uh, almost all of those will wind up in those courts. Those courts are, I guess, the best way to describe it, and CPS is like this as well. They're the wild, wild west. Um, I I definitely think it's not just St. Louis. I I wrote about that because I I follow an emailed newsletter that that tracks St. Louis in particular, but I do think a lot of them are akin to a criminal enterprise in that people are being bribed. Uh, They are on a mass scale committing things like perjury and obstruction of justice and other crimes. And, you know, RICO, which is what governs these criminal enterprises, is a very complex law. 
But I do think that you have cabals, rings, rackets, whatever you want to call them, that are operating in these courts, St. Louis being one of them, that the design is to enrich the players, the judges, the lawyers, these court professionals like Guardian at Lightham, at the expense of the kids and the parents. Uh, and often it leads to outcomes where the abusive parent or the non-fit parent gets custody. And why? Because that creates what I would call a perpetual custody case, which allows the lawyers, the judges, other court professionals like Guardian at Lightham to maintain a perpetual billing hour. They're not trying to solve problems unless the problem is I myself have not made enough money. Now, right. That's not everyone. It's probably not even the majority, but if you wind up, like, even if you, even in the best case scenario, it is a very long, cumbersome process. The other thing is if you can't afford a lawyer, you've got to do it yourself. You have to figure out, their local rules of procedure. If you are trying to get a court hearing, you have to do it exactly right, or they won't give it to you. And and then some of these the like uh, clerks will be helpful and explain to you what you did wrong. Others will say, "Oh, you have to hire a lawyer to do that." So it's very difficult. It's very uh, painful. And as I said, one in two marriages end in divorce, and we have an, another group of people who never get married, who then break up. All of these cases wind up in courts all over the country. And there, there is more and more of this coverage. I started first covering it for real in 2013. I'd say in the last four or five years, there's been a real, I don't know if explosion is the right word, but it, it is definitely significantly taken off uh, a lot of bigger places. There's a guy named Mike Hexenbog. Over NBC News, he's an investigative reporter. He's done a lot of good work. So when when people say the mainstream media doesn't cover it, it doesn't get any more mainstream than Mike Hixenbach. There's a woman named Hannah Dreyfus who's done a great series for ProPublica that uh, has wound up on their site, and sometimes they partner. Um, She busted a guy named Mark Kilmer, who's the brother of Val Kilmer, who is one of these corrupt... Uh, custody evaluators in, in the Denver area that was published in one of the Denver newspapers. And he never believed when someone brought him allegations of abuse. And it turned out that about a decade earlier, he had been accused of domestic violence. So go figure. You wow. think every everybody is lying about domestic violence. And there are people like this guy, Kilmer, all over the place in St. Louis. There's a bunch of them. The, the equivalent is this guy, James Reed, who... I diagnoses everyone with things like borderline personality disorder and a a couple of other very unique disorders. And when you get in front of him, it seems like 100% of the time, if uh, if he's targeting you, you're going to be diagnosed with this. Um, And these people have an enormous amount of power. The other thing is the, the rules of procedure, rules of evidence are completely different from criminal courts, you can show up to a court hearing with your evidence without presenting it to the other side. And, you know, the, the, that, that would never happen in a criminal case. In a criminal case, you have to disclose all that evidence way ahead of time. Uh, that's not the way it necessarily works in a, uh, in a child custody and in CPS. And they, they have few rules, even fewer of those are followed. And what you saw is correct. Uh, they do take kids unnecessarily they take them 
in part because there's all kinds of funding stream, federal funding streams, some of them created under Jimmy Carter, others created under Bill Clinton. There's a law called the Adoption and Safe Families Act, which does incentivize taking kids. On the flip side, they will also ignore when there is clear abuse and not take action. I just did a story out of Missouri uh, a, a couple named Joan and Zach Lee adopted three kids, and five different people have gone to CPS and said, I'm an eyewitness to abuse, physical abuse, like slapping, hitting. Two different people have witnessed Joan stick her finger down a three-year-old's mouth until he commented, uh, and CPS refuses to take action. That's in Jasper County, Missouri, and I see that a lot. Uh, and why? I don't know why they both will take kids when it's unnecessary and then refuse to take action when it's clearly necessary. But this is a broken uh, organization that really should just be wiped out. But if it's to be reformed, it's not just at the margins. It's uh, in a lot of different ways. And uh, the problem is most people feel separated from it because, well, I'm not a foster child. I would never be a foster child. My child will never wind up in foster care. That is the belief. Yeah. And so you don't care about it. You know, I used to cover the VA, and the veterans who I spoke with, there was one specifically who said it was a similar dynamic. People act like they care about what's happening with the VA. And you remember uh, during the the Obama administration, it's huge corruption. Uh, They had people on waiting lists for months, sometimes years, especially I think it was the Phoenix, Arizona VA was the one that got publicized. But it was happening a bunch of other places, too. And people would finally die because right. they just wouldn't ever let them in. Uh, but they were also creating th- – those were on the secret list. On the yeah. official list, they weren't on, on – the waiting list wasn't ever long. But right. what, a veteran, what a veteran told me who worked in the VA system and obviously was also a patient as being a veteran, yeah. the reality is – People act like they care, but they don't really care because the VA system is only for veterans. And there's a couple of million of us. And there's 300 million people in the country. And in reality, most people don't really care what happens to the veterans. And that's probably true. And so that's, that, that's um, in part what you're dealing with with this issue. You Sometimes these cases will pop up uh, where it captures the public's imagination. But in general... It mostly happens in the dark. The other thing is we have open courtrooms, but the, and, and they are open in child custody. They are open in CPS, but these courts will try to close them as often as possible so that they're done in the dark, and that cannot happen. We cannot have star chambers. Uh, the reason they'll claim is for the, for the privacy of the children involved. It's all nonsense. It's to, to protect themselves. The privacy of these children is not that paramount. It's not as paramount as making sure that everybody's due process rights are followed, that when you try to take a child, the parents are able to present their evidence in a fair manner. It's not as important as having an objective and unbiased judge. It's not as important as making sure that no one's committing perjury and all of these other things. And all of that stuff will happen if those courtrooms are closed. Yeah. Now, a couple of things you you referred to that I want to follow up on. First, uh, of course, RICO, for my viewers who aren't familiar with it, the Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act. This is you go after. It's a a federal law that's been around 
since 1970. And this is how you go after criminal enterprises like organized crime. And you've made, even made the case that, you know, the Missouri family court system uh, might be susceptible to that. The other thing you mentioned, the Adoption and Safe Families Act of 1997, mm-hmm. was something that Hillary Clinton really pushed for. Mm-hmm. And I think it passed the United States Senate by a voice vote acclamation. Mm-hmm. And the U.S. House, I think there were two, maybe three people who were like, I don't think it's such a good idea. And if I recall correctly about this Adoption and Safe Families Act, your state gets more money in a fiscal year if you have more adoptions and or more kids going into the foster care system than the year before. And, I mean, if if you don't see how that would be uh, just for abuse and fraud in the system, I mean, what if fewer kids are being abused this year than last year? Doesn't matter. We got to find them somewhere, right? That's and that's correct. That that's correct. So what it does is it gives incentives. The the reason that they believed it they wanted to do this is because it was burning a hole into the state budgets. Oh my God, we're just trying to help these vulnerable kids, and the state shouldn't ha- shouldn't be suffering with their budgets because they're helping all these kids. So we're going to pay for it. In reality, what it does is it creates an incentive because every time you take a child, every time you place them in foster care, you get some money. Keep them in foster care. You get more money. Adopt them out, even more money. So it did create the system. Look, in North Carolina, there was a case. I don't remember all the details, but uh, after looking at it, the the state lawmakers determined that the – and a child died. So a child died. uh, They determined that – CPS did not do enough in-home visits, and as a result, they overlooked that this mom was clearly dangerous and killed her child, or maybe dead, the parent. So what did they do? They created all sorts of incentives for in-home visits. So what's happened in North Carolina? There's an explosion of in-home visits. Every time CPS gets in your life in North Carolina, what do they want to do? Create some reason to do in-home visits because they get money for it. And... Ever, when you put money into the system, it always creates problems. Always, always, always. Um, they were trying to help the states. I don't think they were doing anything nefarious, but in reality. And then, look, the, the, the adoption incentive, and I've, I've actually seen Bill Clinton explain it. He said, we had too many kids, like, just hang there in foster care. We needed them moved, so we wanted to give them an incentive to, to be adopted out. Sounds yeah. good. No, you actually created an incentive to adopt more kids, to just take them, move them into the system, and then eventually adopt them out. And that's what happened. And it absolutely has done that. It's an explosion in terms of the numbers of foster kids, um, the number of foster services, and the number of adoptions. And they, they aren't always necessary. In fact, primarily they're not. You know, most kids are taken because of a parent's drug problem. Uh, it's neglect, not abuse, and it's neglect related to the drug problem. And it's probably easier to try to get that parent help. Uh, and then look, the, you know, is it a drug problem or did you did you test positively? So were you doing the drugs while you were the parent? You know, not not I'm not uh, excusing any kind of drug use, but they are. Yeah. It's over 60% is related to some sort of a positive drug test. It's not related to evidence of physical abuse, sexual abuse. The, 
the much more primary reason to take a child. And so they're incentivized to take those kids. They're incentivized to put them into the, into the system, into foster care. They're also incentivized not to keep them with relatives, to move them into actual foster care. And as a result, that's what happens primarily. It's a perverted system. They often ignore the law, which is a law probably in all 50 states, mm-hmm. that when you take children uh, from parents, the first alternative has to be to put them with extended family. And that is ignored all the time. Another thing that gets ignored is it's against the law. You call in a false report mm-hmm. of child abuse to one of those uh, 1-800 uh, tip lines. But uh, there's certainly no incentive to prosecute people for breaking that law when you're looking for more kids to put into the foster slash adoption system, right? Right. That's correct. They What they do is they get around the law because yeah. you have to be fit. So what they do is they just find a reason why every extended family isn't fit, except they probably are perfectly fit. You know, fit. there are standards, but they essentially will just determine that no one is fit. Uh, you can have a two parents with three kids and a $600,000 house, and they'll claim that, that those two aren't fit. You know, that that's like the aunt and uncle, and no, that's not good enough, and we'll put them into foster care. Uh, the CPS is absolutely weaponized. There's all sorts of devious people that you get into an argument, they'll call CPS. Oh, yeah. they, you know, your kids are rivals in Little League, they'll call CPS. Uh, whatever the, you know, you played your music too loud. Uh, you know, you, your neighbors, uh, you, you, you made somebody mad. They call CPS. People know that CPS, once they get involved in your life, they never let go. They know they're, that that's the, everyone's nightmare is to have CPS visit them. They know this, and that's why they call it in. The other thing is they know that when you call it in yourself into what they call the hotline, you can do it anonymously. No one will ever know it's you. Uh, they also know that no matter what you come up with, CPS has to investigate. And many people know that CPS is just looking for a reason to take kids. So you can come up with whatever you want. Once CPS is involved, even if you came up with a bogus reason, they'll look for a real reason or they'll come up with their equally bogus reason, but they want to take the kids. And if you cross someone that is a great way to get back at you. Absolutely. And there's plenty of people doing it. Okay, this is the part where I'm supposed to say, coming up, Mike Volpe tells you what kind of people are most likely to have their kids taken away by the state. But you may be thinking, gee, Doc, why do you look different than you look in the interview? What happened to the tie and jacket? Well, I'll let you in a little secret. Since we have begun doing video interviews, I record our personal endorsement commercials separately after the interviews. Then... I send everything to a young fellow who specializes in editing video all the way across the country. It's a very time-consuming process. So, to prepare to email our video editor in the wee hours of the morning, I had to watch the video of my live endorsement announcements, and to my shock and horror, it was silent. My wife got up before I went to bed that morning, and I told her, Honey, the video was more silent than the silent movies we watch on Turner Classic Movies sometimes. There wasn't even any music. I mean, here's what it looked like, and and this is just embarrassing. So if you're hearing the sound of my voice right now, that means we have finally been able 
to streamline the process in our attempt to make it more better. All that having been said, coming up, Mike Volpe tells us what kind of people are most likely to have their kids taken away by the state. If you've tried to buy a car recently, you realize you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Auto comes in. Red River Auto is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You can buy online, and they'll drive it to you, no matter where you are. Red River Auto wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. Red River Auto Group has perfected the online buying process. Just go to RedRiverAuto.com and pick from hundreds of new and used vehicles. You can purchase your vehicle online, and if you have any questions, one of Red River's trained experts will help you through the whole process. Red River Auto makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom. The dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door, no matter where you live in the continental U.S., RedRiverAuto.com. You'll be glad you did. I want to tell you about the best-kept secret in American healthcare. Are you having problems with sinuses and allergies? Are you experiencing dizziness, vertigo, problems with your blood sugar, fibromyalgia, eczema, psoriasis, migraines? Well, the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center might be able to help you even if you don't live in Arkansas. Let me tell you how. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas, or C1, which only weighs 2 ounces. So it's really easy for your atlas to get out of alignment. If it does... Your whole spinal column can get kinked up like a chain. When that happens, your central nervous system isn't able to communicate with the rest of your body as it's designed to do. Now, I had severe hay fever for five or six weeks every spring all my life and migraines year-round. When I got my atlas adjusted, the hay fever went away, and it's never come back. The migraines went away, too. Again, whatever malady you're suffering from, do yourself a favor. Call my friends at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center, 501-279-2009 for a free consultation. They've helped me, my wife, and so many people we know. Please call them to see if they can help you. That number for your free consultation is 501-279-2009. If you're outside Central Arkansas, go to their website, turnmypoweron.com, click on the tab that says Find a Doctor Near You, and I sure hope you can. Mike Lindell says you have made MyPillow 2.0 a huge success. So because of your amazing support, Mike has expanded MyPillow's USA manufacturing and jobs. To make room for this, Mike is clearing out his percale bedsheets. And to thank you, he's giving them to you at closeout prices. King-size percale bedsheets, only $39 a set. Queen-size, only $35 a set. Full-size, $29. And twin-size, just $25. Use promo code DWS to take advantage of this once-in-a-lifetime offer. Right now, Mike's biggest My Slippers closeout sale ever is on. Get Mike's all-season My Slippers and Sandals at clearance prices. Mike's all-season moccasin slippers are just $25. Mike's My Slippers Sandals are just $19.50, and they're both made with Mike's patented impact gel that absorbs and relieves pressure so you can comfortably wear them all day long. Just use promo code DWS for huge discounts. And remember, DWS doesn't stand for washed-up Democrat politician Debbie Wasserman Schultz. No, no, no. DWS stands for Doc Washburn Show. MyPillow.com. Quantities are extremely limited at these amazing prices, so please order now. Just use promo code D. 
WS. Our interview with a great independent journalist, Michael Volpe, continues. One of the things I think that makes it so much easier for them to take the kids is they don't tend to, I mean, they might not want to place the kids once they've taken them with a wealthy uh, member of the extended family, but they don't tend to take the kids from wealthy people with million-dollar homes who can afford lawyers. They show up at the mobile home uh, when dad's at work and mom might be at home, and mom has no idea that if they show up without a warrant, she doesn't have to let them in the home. As a matter of fact, I've talked to a a sheriff in a county close to Little Rock, Arkansas, who told me um, a while back, he said, so DCFS, which is what it's called in this state, um, yeah, they said they needed a couple of deputies to go with them to, to take a, a child from a, from a family. And the sheriff said, so I said, okay, you got a warrant? And they're like, warrant? It was like, um, you realize you you got to have a warrant to go into somebody's home and take their kid. No, that's not how well. That's how it's going to have to happen in, in, in this county. And, you know, would that there were more sheriffs like that. But people don't know. And and these people with Child Protective Services or Division of Children Family Services is called in the state of Arkansas. Uh, they're they just I don't know if they're trained or they just naturally try to buffalo their way into somebody's home without a warrant and right. violate all kinds of rights. By the way, if if you don't believe what Doc is saying, just go to YouTube and in their search bar do CPS caseworker confrontation. The first thing, notice how many. You won't be able to count all the videos. People are putting these up online and find one that's three minutes. You don't believe what Doc is saying? Take a look at real confrontations that absolutely happens. I, I spoke several years ago with uh, Heather Scott, who I think is she's a state rep in Idaho or maybe a state senator, but in the state legislature. She wanted to pass what would be the equivalent of the Miranda warning but when CPS caseworkers come to your home and she told me, I may as well have passed a law where you shoot kittens. Uh, the, blowback, the blowback she got was so enormous and she's passed conference, or controversial legislation. She's never seen anything like it. And I'll tell you why. There's two reasons why CPS is against that. One, they don't want you to know what your rights are. And a, and a Miranda-like warning would help you know that you know people we we minimize the the actual miranda warning but everyone knows their rights as a result of the miranda warning the second reason is most of them have no idea what your rights are so they don't really know what a miranda warning would look like because they're not sure themselves keep in mind cps is not law enforcement so do they have to have a warrant that's a gray area they're not law enforcement they're not arresting you they don't need to prove anything beyond a reasonable doubt because you're not being charged with a crime. It's completely separate standard. They they are governed by in the best interest of the child, which is very broad, very nebulous. They can look if you're messy, depending on how messy you are, that might be enough. They're like, oh, my God, toys everywhere, food on the ground. Uh, not that that's good, but is that a reason to take kids? It's been known to happen. If you let your kid, uh, I don't know, go outside when it was like 45 and they were not wearing their jacket, that that could be a reason. There's all yeah. sorts of reasons they can come up with. Uh, it's very nebulous, and once they've gotten you in there, 
grasp. They don't want to let go, and they don't want to let go. Why? Well, the, the caseworker can't justify their job if they have no one, no cases to work. That's number one. Number two, they can't get money unless they're doing something. All of these services, these in-home services, taking kids, and there's a bunch of them. It, even if they haven't taken your kids, they can show up at your house every week. They're getting money for that. So they don't want, they have no incentive to say, everything is fine here and we're moving along. That case in Missouri, those are parents who adopted kids. So they're, they have every incentive not to really investigate because then they have to explain why they allowed these people to adopt the kids. Uh, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, so when, when I did local talk radio in Little Rock, Arkansas, um, I was interviewing Governor Aza Hutchinson, who uh, had a primary opponent in 2018. He's running for re-election. And I introduced the incendiary idea that child welfare workers should have to give Miranda warnings to parents and should have to wear body cams. Oh, that didn't go too well with that governor. Really? I'm, I'm just thinking and about why? Why? Well, he said he said they couldn't afford they couldn't afford um, to um, to keep the inventory of all the video uh, that would you know the the expenditure there with the with the, uh, the body cams. I don't remember what he said about the Miranda warnings, but he, he clearly trusted his social workers. Right, you, uh, YouTube, YouTube can afford. Yeah. YouTube can afford to in cyberspace keep billions and billions of hours worth of uh, vir- virtual videos every day, but the state of Arkansas can't afford to keep tho- those like electronic files somewhere. That's nonsense. The other thing is those body cams will protect you from all sorts of lawsuits because guess what? So- social workers lie, so do parents. You, yeah. you want those body cams. Police, a good cop wants a body cam. A, right. a body cam is every good cop's best friend because the criminal will lie about you and you have video proof of whatever happened. Same thing with these uh, with these social workers. Now, a Miranda warning, anyone who's against it, they don't want you to know what your rights are. You should know whether you are required to speak with that caseworker, whether you are required to let them in the house. And that's why they don't want to tell you the Miranda warning. Because if they tell you, you aren't required to speak to us, you aren't required to let us into the house, as soon as they get going, they say, you know what, I'm not talking to you and I'm not letting you in the house. You can go home now. But but they don't give that Miranda warning. And you can see this on the YouTube clips. The parents will start an argument with them, and the caseworker will try to convince No, you have to let us in the house. No, we we got this. We got that. We we got a call. We understand this, that, and the other. No, you have to talk to us. You can't refuse to speak to us. You're going to see that in all of the confrontations. And in part, it is because you don't have a Miranda warning. You don't know what your rights are. Because as I said, this isn't a criminal investigation. None of the Constitution applies to you because you're not being charged with a crime. It may feel like it, but you're not. Right. And and I didn't know it at the time, but I found out later on that the uh, Department of Human Services, which is over DCFS in Arkansas, gets hundreds of millions of dollars from the feds every year. So they could afford it. 
there was a state, there was a state senator named Linda Collins who was just shocked beyond belief when she found out about it. She right. was mur- murdered later on. I'm sure there was no no connection, connection. there. Right. Um, but she was looking. I, I know. I never met never met or spoke to Linda, but I know she was looking at several of those cases. Uh, and uh, and of course, the most famous uh, of of those politicians is Nancy Schaefer, who was murdered uh, oh, yeah. by her husband, supposedly. And she did a lot of work in Georgia. Look, Heather Scott, when I talked to her, was was concerned for her own safety because I. Uh, because she had heard of several politicians who took this issue on, who suddenly got uh, got murdered, and I um I didn't speak with him, but there's another guy, Rodney Garcia from Montana, another he's a Republican, and and so is uh so is uh Heather Scott. He he tried to pass a law that like that would cut their funding, and it was the same kind of the backlash. Like I said, he may as well have been passing a law to line up kittens and shoot them, the, the kind of backlash that he got. Uh, they don't want their funding cut. They don't want to be challenged. Uh, and, and the family court system works that way, too. When you try to pass a law to rein in these guardian ad litem and other court professionals, the blowback you get is is enormous. They want to be able to operate with almost no oversight with as much money as possible. Um, and there's a law being uh, like debated in Missouri that will n- limit the number of cases a guardian litem can be on, which limits the amount of money they can make. And so, of course, they're all way against it. Uh, even though some of these guardian litem will have so many cases, there's no way they could possibly be doing a good job on all of them because you just don't have enough time. Right. And, and I don't know. I guess most states are like the state that I'm in, which is, Arkansas, right below Missouri, but the whole family court system is so incestuous. I mean, their revenue stream is all coming from the same place. So if you do have indigent parents who can't afford a lawyer and they get a court-appointed lawyer, the court-appointed lawyer can't really advocate for the parents' rights because the family court judge will say, well, you're not going to appear in my court again. Right. um, the the most know. common thing that parents will hear from uh, from a lawyer in these cases is I don't crap where I eat, which means I don't challenge that judge because you are one client and I'm going to be in front of them for a long time. And it, it's absolutely incestuous. It's the same lawyers coming yep. up in front of the same judge and then they constantly appoint the same guardian ad litem, the same custody evaluator. And this is what we found in St. Louis. The, the, the main notorious guardian ad litem was a woman named Elaine Podlowski, and she was a lawyer sometimes, sometimes a guardian ad litem, but she was constantly appointed. And what she would be able to do is as soon as she got on the case, she would get this guy, James Reed, to do an evaluation, and that evaluation would lead to a woman named Jennifer Van Leuven being appointed to do some sort of therapy. And it was like the, the parents would not know this is happening, but you were almost guaranteed that once one got on the case, all three came in as a package. And of course you were paying uh, Elaine two, $300 an hour. You were paying this guy Reed $10,000, $20,000 for his evaluation. Van Leuven was being, was charging a ton of money. Uh, 
And there's a great book. It's a little bit old now called The Worst Interest of the Child that looked at the Connecticut system. Same thing. The same lawyers, the same judges, the same guardian ad litem, the same therapist constantly on all of these cases. And there, the other thing you found, and this happens all the time, too, you become a corrupt guardian ad litem. And it's like the, the double or triple A equivalent. And then once you've done your part, you become a judge. And you, yeah. you're actually moved through the system that way. And it's the corrupt ones. There's a judge named Gerald Edelman in Connecticut. He used to be a corrupt guardian ad litem. That lady, Elaine Podlowski, tried to be a guardian ad litem. We created enough firestorms. She stopped. But a lot of these corrupt guardian ad litem, that's their feeder system. And then they become corrupt judges. Yeah, it's... um. In the words of the great philosopher David Byrne of the Talking Head, same as it ever was. So now, let me ask you, you have written at length about the trend of family courts and even legislatures in big blue states like California, Oregon, Washington, telling parents, for, uh, for example, they have no business keeping their minor children from submitting to dangerous and irrevocable procedures to try to change their genders. Now, my viewers in red states, because I think most of my viewers are in red states, they might be thinking, well, thank God we don't live in a state like that. But my question is, what's to keep a liberal judge in a red state from ruling against parents on the same basis? Parents are trying to keep, uh, trying to maintain that their son can never become their daughter and vice versa. Nothing has already happened. The, the most notorious case with je- what I call gender dysphoria in custody is the younger case in Texas. Mom is desperately trying to turn James into Luna. Dad yeah. is trying to desperately keep James as James. The judge on that case is Mary Brown. She is a very liberal judge. Texas is very conservative. Texas is also very huge. So there's yep. plenty of liberal judges. Uh, they may be a minority, but there's tons and tons of judges. You're going to run into a liberal one. Houston area is very liberal. Uh, she has been siding with mom throughout. Uh, the only thing that the court system in Texas has stopped mom from doing, it, it is the most important thing, is, is to actually transition the boy. But she calls him Luna. She dresses him as a girl. She has sole custody. She has sole decision-making. She even has medical decision-making except for transitioning him uh, so it's already happened. You're right. And there's a culture war in the red and blue states. What, what, what red states, and I read there's at least 12. There's probably more. They've passed uh, Florida, Indiana. Other ones have passed. It might have even passed in Arkansas. And if it hasn't, it'll, it'll get there. And what the law will say is it's something like until you are 18, there, you cannot do any kind of gender reassignment, puberty blocking surgery. And that's what the red states have passed. In the blue states... Uh, in California, they passed something called AB 957, and what that does is if uh, if James is Luna, and now your boy wants to be a girl and he wants to be called Luna, if you keep calling him James, that's going to be not in the best interest of the child. Now, that's not – this is very important. That doesn't guarantee or even mean or even require a judge to give the other parent custody – but what they do is they say to strongly consider that not in the best interest of the child. But it does put the fingers on the scale, yeah. and it does signal to judges that in a situation like that, 
The fitter parent is the one who's going along and calling them Luna. In Washington State, what they passed is if you are 12, 13, 14, and you are a boy who believes you're a girl, you can run to a shelter, and the shelter doesn't have to tell the parents, and the shelter can get you gender reassignment surgery. In Oregon, if you are 15 or older, you don't have to get your parents' permission. You can get gender reassignment surgery. And you're going to see this. The blue states are going to do laws like the ones I described. The red states will ban this surgery for anyone under 18. So that's what's happening. What happened in Arkansas was a couple of years ago, the Republican legislature passed a law, which to me wasn't nearly strong enough. It did not criminalize uh, gender reassignment surgery. What it did was it codified into the law, the bill codified into law that if this is done to a minor child, either the surgery or the, you know, chemical puberty blockers and stuff, then when the child becomes an adult, he or she can sue. Mm-hmm. And Governor Hutchinson vetoed the bill. Um, his veto was massively overridden by almost every Republican in the legislature. Mm-hmm. He went on the Tucker Carlson show. And Tucker Carlson was, you know, giving him a hard time for vetoing this bill, you know, to, well, I, I think Tucker thought it was going to outlaw um, castration. And mm-hmm. Governor Hutchinson said, now, now Tucker, I, I said that if it was just a bill to, to uh, outlaw castration, I would have signed it. So immediately it's, it, it's obvious governor doesn't know the difference between chemical castration and surgical castration. But anyway, mm-hmm. uh, Tucker asked him, anybody from Walmart, Tyson, Dillard, anybody, uh, you know, give you a call about this now, now Tucker, I told you, I just listened to medical experts the next evening. Tucker does an update with a video of Governor Hutchinson on a different Fox News show from a few days earlier saying, now we have major multinational corporations in the state very concerned about this. And so Tucker looks at the camera and says, so he lied to us. But, you know, the Walton Family Foundation, the Walton Family Foundation, the Walmart folks, uh, had a big full-page ad congratulating uh, Governor Hutchinson for standing with our quote-unquote transgender children and so now, with the new legislative session, um, they passed a bill that's not even that strong. Mm-hmm. Um, the bill, again, would give minors the right to sue when they become um, adults unless unless the medical practitioner who did the procedure had the parents sign this long consent form. A consent form explaining all the different horrible things that could happen. You think anybody's going to read that form? No. And I'm just like, well, why not just criminalize it? Why not make it against the law? And that's that's what they did in Florida. Yeah. In Florida, it's under 18. Uh, none of these states are, are banning an adult, which is 18 is the cutoff. You yeah. will... Uh, and I just saw DeSantis talked about this. So I, 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 I'm, I'm assuming he wasn't lying about his own bill. You will lose your medical license if you perform a surgery like this under anyone 18 and you can be prosecuted. Yeah. Uh, and that's, as I said, I think there's 12 states at least. And I, this is a political article that I read. And it, 
the article is a good month old, so there might be new states since then. So there's at least 12 states that have passed something like that where it's illegal to do any kind of gender reassignment or puberty blocking surgery to anyone under 18. That's the red state position. These California, Oregon, and Washington, they will essentially take away your parental rights to allow a child to switch from boy to girl. And, um, you know, I get this uh, example all the time, but I think you need to be 18 to get a tattoo. You need to be 21 to drink. You need to be 18 to vote, but apparently in Washington State, you can be 16 and decide for yourself to change your gender. I mean, to get your ears pierced, to get all kinds of things done. Now, this James Younger situation out of Texas, though, mm-hmm. mom moved him to California, right? Correct. All so right. keep her from doing whatever she wants with him in California. Our guest, Mike Volpe has more on the story of a dad who's fighting to try to keep his ex-wife from doing irreparable harm to his son, the tale of James Younger, coming up on the Doc Washburn Show. Hey, if you want to drop your big liberal cell phone carrier, I have the perfect solution for you. Patriot Mobile is America's only Christian conservative wireless carrier. Switching to Patriot Mobile usually only takes 15 to 20 minutes. Patriot Mobile has exceptional nationwide coverage and uses the same towers the main carriers use. And Patriot Mobile guarantees your coverage. Patriot Mobile has plans to fit any budget, along with great discounts for our veteran and first responder heroes, as well as multi-line users. When you switch to Patriot Mobile, you're shifting your support from the leftist progressive agendas of Big Mobile to the Christian conservative causes of Patriot Mobile. Patriot Mobile donates a portion of every dollar earned to organizations that fight for causes you care about. When you become a Patriot Mobile member, your dollars are helping to fund our God-given right to freedom. A portion of every dollar they earn is given back to the causes that support organizations that fight for First Amendment religious freedom, freedom of speech, Second Amendment right to bear arms, sanctity of life, and the needs of our veterans and first responders. Now more than ever, it's important to band together and support companies that share our conservative values. Switching is easy. Just do what I did. Go to PatriotMobile.com or call the U.S.-based customer service team at 972-PATRIOT. Make sure you use promo code DOC, that's D-O-C, for free activation. The great Ronald Reagan once said, Inflation is as violent as a mugger, as frightening as an armed robber, and as deadly as a hitman. Have you thought about the benefits of investing in precious metals? Well, here are five profound benefits. Number one, investing in precious metals is a hedge against inflation. Number two, It's a great way to diversify your portfolio. Number three, asset liquidity. Number four, precious metals tend to be a store of value. That means precious metals are an asset, commodity, or currency that maintain their value without depreciating over the long haul. Last but not least, number five, precious metals can be a hedge against geopolitical uncertainty and the struggling U.S. dollar. Andrew Sorcini with Beverly Hills Precious Metals has been involved in gold and silver for over 40 years. Beverly Hills Precious Metals brings precious metals to the homes of everyday American citizens. Mike Flynn told us about them, and we're glad he did. They're our gold buyer of choice. To find out more, go to their website, bh-pm.com, or just Google Beverly Hills Precious Metals. Make sure you ask about the general Mike Flynn silver coin, and let them know Doc Washburn sent you. Beverly Hills Precious Metals helps folks protect their finances, wealth, and investments. Beverly Hills Precious Metals. 
Tell them Doc Washburn sent you. Why continue shopping big box stores if you can get the items you need from a family-owned company? Now you can get around this crazy inflation by shopping Factory Direct at a family-owned, made-in-America manufacturer. Americans are walking away from the big box conglomerates and deciding to buy only USA. Join with fellow patriots to cut off the cash flow of the big woke corporations that are trying to destroy our country. Each of us can take market share away from these businesses that have enjoyed unfair advantages. These products include fresh American-raised beef, raised in the Montana mountains near Yellowstone. This beef is known as Never Ever. Never has the animal ever been exposed to antibiotics, hormones, or vaccines. This prime or high-choice beef is shipped directly to your door. Pricing and availability is exclusive only to our members and isn't shipped anywhere else in the world. Let's start voting with our dollars to make sure our purchases are supporting companies that promote freedom. Email us at buyonlyusa at proton.me and I'll have one of my guys contact you. Buyonlyusa at proton.me Okay, we left off with my confusion about what James Younger's mom can actually get away with after taking him to California. Here's what Mike Volpe says about that. All right. So it depends on who you ask. Oh, okay. So this this got in front of the Texas Supreme Court. So in California, there was a law passed that essentially made the state a sanctuary. If you are escaping a red state that doesn't allow gender reassignment surgery. So James dad uh, begged first Mary Brown, who always votes against him or always rules against him. And then all the way up to the Texas Supreme court to force mom to come back to Texas. And the Texas Supreme court said no. And, and they said, we understand this law and you can rest assured that your child will be fine because we have a court order that's not a law. The court order forbids her from the gender reassignment surgery. I, I don't know if they're right. That's their argument. Uh, they're on record. Basically said, no, 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 no. This is a, a court order specific to this case. She cannot do this surgery. She can't do it in California. She can't do it in, uh, in Illinois. She can't do it in New York. And they allowed her to move. Now, look, her moving means he even more rarely sees those kids and they let her move. So there's, there's a, a larger issue there that they allow this woman to move to another state and keep the child away from his dad. But for, and look for now, I, I have not heard that she's tried to get him gender reassignment surgery. And look that, that lady, I think she wanted a girl, right? I think she was upset that she had a boy. She wanted a girl. And I watched one of their hearings in 2021, her, and this is her lawyer, was questioning her, said, well, you have a, a child, he was born James, and now he's Luna, why do you call him Luna? And she said, when he was three years old, he said he wanted to pretend to be a girl, and by the time he was five, he said he wanted to stop pretending. And this is her reason. Her five-year-old said, I think I'm a girl, and she went along with it. It's her testimony. That's not me. And that's not even under, under cross-examination. That's her lawyer. Well, you know, I mean, it's it's Munchausen syndrome by proxy as far as I'm concerned. And what I would love to know mm-hmm. is did anybody on the Texas Supreme Court say how they were going to enforce their court order right. if, if the woman uh, goes across the state lines? Because right. uh, I, I just think Great they're question. 
whistling past the graveyard. It's ridiculous. Right. Great question. They did not address that, and that is something that you have to consider. You think the state of California, well, look, it it gets enforced by the Texas attorney or someone taking out charges and asking California to arrest her and extradite her. And then does the state of California want to get into a war with the state of Texas? Because, look, if the state of California doesn't do that, then the next time – the reverse happens, and maybe the next criminal that California wants extradited as a murderer, Texas says, you know, gives them the middle finger. That, that That's what keeps everyone in line is you, do you really want a tit for tat in a situation like that? Um, but we'll see. Look, they, one of the legislators that passed 957 is this guy, Scott Weiner, uh, and he's an activist for trans rights. So oh, they boy. have, they, they, their legislature is, you know, look, he, it's a liberal area. You wouldn't vote for him. I wouldn't vote for him. But he does represent the will of his voters. But that area, they have some pretty far-left people. And this is an issue that I think they would, like, die on that hill for. We'll see. So, see, the other thing everyone should know about the younger case is she has also testified under oath. Repeatedly, it is not my. I it's. I don't. I'm not trying to castrate him. Whatever the term she used. Yeah. Mom has said repeatedly, I'm not trying to change him into a girl. I'm treating him as a girl. I'm calling him Luna. I and mean, you know, it seems I, I'm having a hard time understanding that. You're well, not this- trying to change him into a girl, except for the dressing him like a girl and calling him a girl. The Scott Weiner guy you brought up in the, in the state assembly there in California. Uh, wasn't he the guy that sponsored the bill to make it uh, no longer a crime if you knowingly give somebody AIDS? Wasn't he the guy that sponsored the bill? Uh, I don't to, know to, him. To, to I, get rid of- I want to say yes to that. But he he sponsored AB 957. That's the one with the best interest of the child to call him by the, the preferred pronoun. Yeah. He also sponsored the other bill that gives that amnesty. That, that's at the, the the center of the younger case. Those are two bills that have passed now on trans rights. He's if you follow him on social media, which I don't, but I've I've seen some of his tweets. I he's very very pro trans. Well, I think he's also very very pro um, adult uh, gay males can have sex with uh, teenage boys. I think mm-hmm. he got a law passed on that too. But again, like you say. How far left are voters in his district of California that he, they're like, yeah, listen, let's I, like this guy, sure. Right. I, I don't have that big a problem. The, the politicians I don't like are the ones who campaign on one thing and then govern differently. He doesn't do that. He, look, whoever elects him is as far left as he is. No, nothing that he says now he didn't say when he was campaigning. So he... He represents the will of his voters. They're obviously far left, very far left, very, who, very far left. Who are you saying is as far left as he is? Yeah. No, the, I, I didn't get the other name. I'm sorry. I was talking over you. The the the, the district he's in is as far left as he is. He, yeah. Look, he he's not a liar. He he didn't say one thing in the campaign and then once he got elected, say something different. That's yeah. what I mean. He got elected being this kind of an activist. Everyone knew what they were getting, and they wanted it. 
Look, that's why people say elections have consequences. Boy, do they ever. Now, let me let me ask you to tell my viewers about a doctor in the deep red state of Texas, Eric Henson, mm-hmm. uh, a doctor who actually had the guts to push back mm-hmm. against the state's mask mandate. Now, um, it would seem to be reasonable since Texas Governor Greg Abbott, I'm sure, rescinded the mask, mask mandate quite some time ago. Uh, Dr. Henson should be in the clear now, right? Right. This is quite the interesting story. So for about six months, Abbott had this mandate that required all businesses to have masks. Dr. Henson decided to only uh, say it's your option. Uh, a couple of, of his patients complained. The Texas right. Medical Board took up the issue. Now, here's where it gets a little bit tricky. So Abbott rescinds the the executive order. However, from the Texas Medical Board's point of view, you still violated their executive order, which means you violated our medical rules. So they go after him. But after about a year and a half, they say, okay, pay a a $500 fine, do some, like, continuing education stuff. Basically, wanted to give him a slap on the wrist. He refused because he said, I did nothing wrong, and they escalated from there. So I don't don't know if that complicates it. And there's a doctor named Mary Bowden. It was the same thing, Uh, and hers was prescribing ivervectum, and it's the same thing in the sense that initially the TMB, the Texas Medical Board, they gave both of them a, a slap on the wrist, and what escalated it, was their refusal to accept that small punishment. But he uh, has not had his license uh, revoked, but he was suspended, and he was put on a list that makes it very, very difficult for him to practice. Uh, Dr. Mary Bowden, I don't know the exact uh, dynamic there with her, but she has difficulty practicing as well. So They did. They challenged the Fauci narrative in Texas, and you would think in Texas it would be okay. I, 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 one of the first things I did was on corruption in medical boards, and the Texas Medical Board especially is corrupt. This, I don't know if this is corruption. Um, they certainly went after these guys, but I, I think what complicates it is they gave them very, very small punishments that they refused to follow. And yeah. whether you agree with them or not, that is, if you want to escalate things, you don't follow a small punishment. Yeah, now... Here's one of the things that's really concerning to me because I didn't know anything about any of this stuff when COVID kicked in in early 2020. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I found out, because people would say, well, you know, what's the big deal? Why, why not wear a mask? Uh, mm-hmm. Doctors wear masks when they're operating and all this kind of stuff, and they wear them for hours and all this kind of stuff. But you find out, pardon me, that the doctors are wearing a mask when they're operating because if they sneeze or something like that, they don't want droplets going on the patient or whatever. And you find out that the COVID is transmitted through the air for who knows how many feet. And if you walk in a restaurant and you can smell what's cooking, the COVID is a lot smaller than those particles. The mask's not going to do any good. And you always think that when you're talking to an actual doctor, mm-hmm. that they understand a lot more than you understand and that they keep themselves educated. And so when you see doctors 
in 2020, 2021, even 2022, wearing masks in public as if they're protecting themselves or protecting other people. You're like, well, the doctor is bound to know. Virtue signal. Then you find out, I guess the doctor isn't all that sharp after all. Right. I mean, it's it's a lot of virtue signaling. The, the other thing about masks is there's trillions of germs out there. Yeah. 99.9% of them are actually good for They build your immune system. So you're right. constantly wearing a mask. You're weakening your immune system. So right. that's part of it. Uh, it. It's difficult to breathe. Um, the you're, you're stunting the human contact. There's a million things. Look, Dr. Henson and Dr. Bowden, why they think this is an important fight is this is a bunch of bureaucrats telling doctors how to run their practice. And you don't, you, you have to have some rules, but if you're going to have the Texas Medical Board reach in and tell each doctor what they can and can't prescribe, whether or not they have to wear masks, you, you have a, an, an organization that's out of control. And keep in mind, you can't be a doctor without a medical license. So that medical board, they hold your entire career in the balance. If they're going after you and they decide they want to go after these doctors for all of these reasons, you're going to, you're going to handcuff doctors everywhere and they're going to be beholden to some bureaucrat in Texas. And um, lastly, the governor, in this case, Abbott, appoints the Texas Medical Board. So right. this is his responsibility. Uh, and, and he should, uh, in either directly or indirectly, have this thing rescinded. There's no reason to still be going after doctors for things they did in 2020 over COVID. That's over. It doesn't matter. Well, see, in a lot of states, the medical board would come down with both feet on the doctor for having the gall to prescribe hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin. Mm-hmm. Now, in Florida, where my son had COVID and hadn't eaten for days, and I called our family doctor back in Panama City, Florida, Dr. Skip Dobby, and he prescribed ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and a steroid, and the CVS pharmacy in Niceville, Florida, slow-walked it, made my son wait for 24 hours. He was gasping for air by the time he got his meds. By the grace of God, thank God he lived, but it wasn't a problem in Florida to prescribe that stuff. And mm-hmm. again, thank God, because I felt like at the time we almost lost my son. Um, but but there were so many medical boards that would try they, to take They were the going against it. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And, and so, you know, the financial incentive for pushing this, this right. uh, what they call the vaccine. Right actually a gene therapy. I'm, I'm, I'm not a doctor, but I know how to follow the money. Ivervectum and hydroxychloroquine no longer have a patent. Those things are as cheap as you're going to get. Right, right, These right. vaccines are patented, and, of course, the government is buying them directly from the drug companies. Uh, I do know Big Pharma is not to be trusted. Look, I don't know which one is right, but... For medical boards to, to to say you did something wrong with something like this, uh, yeah. the, the thing that, that is really mm-hmm. troubling is COVID's brand new. Who, why, why are bureaucrats saying A, B, and C that we're going with that, but D, E, and F, we're not going with that? 
How do you know which one's right? You know, with, with, with something new, you usually, people try different things, you study it, you figure out what's working and what's not working. And here, everybody's just follow. well, the, not everybody, but the, the medical establishment just follows one guy, Anthony Fauci, who changed his mind every time he changed his socks. So oh, yeah. I don't know why you're trusting him. Uh, well, because, because Trump was trusting him, and he was put up there as the voice of reason and authority. Um, but, you know, you say COVID is I, you, you, COVID, Can I tell you when COVID. I stopped following him? Sure. On, like, May 13th or 14th, 2020, he said, there's no problem. You can go to a restaurant. You don't have to worry about it. I'm going to a restaurant. By, May th- by, by March 30th, this is like the middle of March, what I just described. By March 30th, we have to... Stop everyone from going outside, or so, or at least the so restaurant. You, in like two and a half weeks. Oh, like, I'm you sorry meant, if you're you if you March, change that March two and a half weeks. Right? You, you meant March fifteenth that he mm-hmm. said. Okay, you said May. I thought you meant March. Right. Okay, so March fifteenth and March thirtieth, he doesn't want eighty. I apologize. Right. And it might not have been the fifteenth, but like two and a half weeks, a complete yep. one eighty. And he did yep. it with everything. We don't need masks. He's on 60 right. Minutes on the one that didn't air, but they did have it. We don't need that. Now we do need masks. Then we need two masks. He yep. changed his mind on everything. And there's no reason to trust him. He'll change his mind anyway. Right. Um, yeah, he's a longstanding government bureaucrat. I don't know why he's to be trusted. Um, that, that definitely bothered me that, that these central planners were making decisions for doctors between the doctor and the patient as if these doctors didn't know. And look, Dr. Mary Bowden, practicing 25, 30 years. Dr. Henson, 25, 30 years. They didn't forget how to practice medicine. They didn't, you didn't think they were bad doctors in 2019 or 18. All of a sudden, they're doing something that goes against the grain. Oh, we better go after them. Uh, Very troubling. And and both of those cases in Texas. Yeah, no, you mentioned... COVID was brand new. COVID-19 was brand new. I mean, they'd had other COVIDs before, and they'd never treated one like this one. And go back to what you said, follow the money. Um, and it was it was outrageous. And like like you said, a perfect example, the same Fauci was saying a little bit earlier, oh, you don't need masks. Uh, it's ridiculous. It might make you feel better. It's just theater. Right. And then a few weeks later, you got to, got to, got to, got to. Mandate if, them. Eventually, he's saying it might not be a bad idea to also wear goggles. Right. Yeah. No, he went, he went from zero mass to one mass to two mass back to zero. Yeah. Once you get once you get the vaccine, you can walk around. You'll never catch it to you better. You probably should keep wearing masks to you get the vaccines to help other people. He yeah. changes he and everything. And yet the medical establishment is taking his word as gospel and Dr. Henson is being treated like a pariah based on uh, rec- recommendations that trickle down. And there you go. And I don't know how many doctors have faced this, but it's definitely troubling that, that a couple of doctors are still facing these kinds of things years after this whole thing is over. Particularly Dr. Henson, this is like a six-month thing. Nobody's asked to wear masks. He made it optional, and he said, "If you, if you, if that makes you uncomfortable, we can reschedule your appointment sure. or, or help you find an appointment somewhere else." But um, you know, his in his mind, I'm not going to force my staff to wear a mask. It's going to make it more difficult for them to do their job. Exactly. Uh, 
And oh God, what a what a crazy radical idea that is. Yeah, it, it is. It is. Now, uh, let me ask you, and by the way, we're talking to uh, Mike Volpe. He's at michaelvolpe.substack.com. Some great reporting there. You've been covering a huge story that affects a lot of people that most of the media has been ignoring for years. Please tell my viewers about Richard Gardner and the parental alienation. Yeah. So um, before I tell you in the family, family law world, a debate over parental alienation is probably more intense than the debates you've seen on abortion, the border, uh, healthcare, that kind of stuff. The people on both sides are very passionate about it. So parental alienation, it doesn't have one specific meaning or definition, which is one of many problems that I have with it. But in the simplest terms, it's when during a divorce, one parent turns the child against the other parent. Um, from my perspective, there's all kinds of problems with this thing. One of them is Gardner himself, who I'll talk about, but it's very broad, very nebulous. There's no agreement on the symptoms. There's no agreement on the treatment. There's no agreement on when you know it's happening. Uh, the people who believe in it, they've had it happen to them. Of course, they say, well, what was it that happened to you? And then that's more difficult to understand. Clearly, they're alienated from their kids. They're they, they don't talk to their kids, and their ex has done something, maybe kept them away. Uh, maybe they have filled their mind with horrible things about the other parent, and now the kids don't like them. All of those things happen, but I would rather you not call it parental alienation. Just say what they're doing. If they're yeah. keeping them away, just say keeping them away. What happens in court primarily, and, and it happens a lot to mo- more to mothers than fathers, is when there's an allegation of abuse, sexual, physical, and I'm going to give you a, uh, a very famous example, the one accused of abuse immediately says, it's not true, I'm being alienated. And one of the most famous examples is Woody Allen. Woody was, was accused of child molestation by not Mia Farrow, but his daughter, and he accused Mia of alienating his children from him. And, and I think almost everyone at this point agrees no, 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 it wasn't parental alienation. You really were molesting your kids. And Gardner was one of the people who stood up for him. So Gardner is essentially a quack who propagated this term. He went into court a whole bunch of times and testified as a so-called expert. And only after he died did people find out that he had a lot of troubling views. And one of them is that he excused child molestation. He said things like, uh, the the reason that it's bad is based on how society views it. I think another quote is, there's a little bit of pedophilia in all of us. So this was a guy who, at a minimum, really took a, a libertine view to child molestation. And I interviewed a guy, and I'm, I'm going to forget his name. He's a, a pretty heavy hitter lawyer who cross-examined Gardner. And this will give you an idea of how much of a quack Gardner was. So... The dad was accused of having a fetish that he would shave his daughter's legs uh, every time he saw her. That was his fetish, that he would shave her legs. Good. And dad turned around and said, I don't have a fetish. This is parental alienation. So Gardner's testifying, and Gardner says, well, let's figure this out. Both sides get some experts, and then each, and it's like three experts each, 
and you guys measure the hair length on her legs before she goes to dad. And then after she comes back, the three, the six experts measure the hair length again. Yeah, yeah. So Ducati is his name, Richard Ducati. Ducati goes, and then, and then he goes, and we'll count it from one to five. And Ducati goes, well, what's one and what's five? And the guy goes, what do you mean? Gardner, that is. He goes, well, how do they know what length is one, what length is two, what length is three, what length is four, what length is five? And Gardner had no he he made he made up this thing on the spot, and that's how he discredited him in that particular uh, in that particular trial. But Gardner is the one who propagated this thing, and now it's used and misused all the time, and it is global. In England, New Zealand, Australia, Colombia, Mexico, Canada, Israel, you name it. When someone is accused of abuse, you can bet they're going to say, no, 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 parental alienation. And what happens is you get all these experts to come in, the gardener types, and they will try to determine if it's parental alienation. And as I said, the problem is, uh, the example I always give is, it's not a torn ACL. If you think you tore your ACL you get an x-ray, and they're going to know, is it partially torn? Is it fully This thing is somebody's judgment, and it's so complicated. And one thing I always say, um, anybody who's had teenagers, they half of them hate their parents for no reason whatsoever. So how do you know if it's them being a teenager or them with parental alienation? How do you know the difference? And it's very hard to tell. It's extremely subjective. And when something like that winds up in court, that's a huge problem because it's misdiagnosed. One of the biggest stories I do in terms of numbers is how many yeah. people come to me falsely accused of parental alienation. It is primarily women, but the baseball player, the, the retired now, David Segui, played with the, the Orioles, the Twins, and others. He was falsely accused by his ex-wife of parental yeah. alienation. She was the, I think, sexual abuser and physical abuser in that case. He's an example of a man who's done it. The main case that I did is the Rucky case, David Rucky versus Sandra Grazini Rucky, a case that has been mischaracterized by media all over the world, including 2020, more recently, Dan Abrams. David Rucky put a gun to his son's head once, uh, according to a CPS report. He choked his daughter, according to an audio recording, choked his wife, beat his kids. There's evidence of abuse all over the place. If you know something about this and you're shocked that I'm saying this, it's because the media has been lying to you. And, of course, David Rucky said, no, 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 it's parental alienation. The court accepted it. He got sole custody. Uh, two of the kids ran. They hid for two and a half years. Mom was, was tried and convicted because they withheld. They, the judge made sure that none of the evidence was abuse was allowed into the case. But this is a concept that's used and misused all over the world and it enriches lawyers and judges and therapists and psychologists, and it's very problematic. It causes a lot of kids to be forced to live in abusive situations. That it's just horrific, and so many people have have no idea. It always amazes me. Mm-hmm. People just kind of trust the government, trust the system. Yeah, they wouldn't do anything like that. It's it's just you know I, I appreciate you. you know, the the of- crazy thing about parental alienation is. Yeah. The, the more evidence, in a sense, you have, the more they can claim it's parental alienation. Because if you and all of your kids are saying that the ex is abusive, the ex can turn around. That, exactly. That's how you know it's parental alienation. You know I didn't do it. And they would only all be saying I'm doing it 
if it was parental alienation. And uh, is, often in these cases, the judges will just make sure any evidence of abuse isn't brought in. Look, I did a story several years ago, Angela, Angela and Angelo Gizzi. And Angelo Gizzi was convicted of throwing his wife down the stairs while she was six months pregnant. He was convicted, and yet they, a couple years after the conviction, still said she was alienating the kids, and they just basically minimized the conviction. If, if being convicted of a physical abuse isn't enough, what are you supposed to bring in the court to convince people that really the abuse is real? You know, I think one of the problems here, especially when you can get a jury to believe things which don't make any sense, like mm-hmm. the case you just talked about, about the Gizzies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll give you an example. <laughs> the, the problem there is there's no jury, but I'll, I'll oh. tell you how, how you get a jury to believe things that aren't there. But the problem in family court, there are no juries. It's always a judge. Uh, right. Okay. No, you're, mm-hmm. you're right. Mm-hmm. So I was, on, I was on social media recently. I was on Twitter. And there was this fake story going around. Look, I'm no, I'm no fan of the Biden administration. Mm-hmm. I mean, I call him names. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm no fan of the people who work for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that his current press secretary is probably the most incompetent White House press secretary I've, I've seen in all my born days. However, mm-hmm. there was a fake story going around about Karine Jean-Pierre uh, that she had um, been pulled over for drunk driving one weekend and had gotten off because of who she was. Mm-hmm. And some people were posting this on Twitter. And I said, you know, I have, uh, I've looked all over and I can't find any evidence for that. And the woman said, that's how you know it's true because there's no evidence. <laughs> right. Exactly. Okay. Well, um, in that case, uh, there's no evidence that, uh, man can breathe underwater and fish can breathe on dry land. So I guess that would be true also. Right. right. And, and she didn't understand the point I was making. Um, so, I mean, neither one of us is an attorney, either family law or any other kind, but it's gotta be frustrating when you know, you're using logic, you know, you're using linear reasoning Mm -hmm. and whoever you're trying to persuade has this willful blindness thing going on and intentionally sees things. Um, Adam, my dad used to say bass backwards. Um, I, I mean, as a journalist, you, in, in the Rucky case, you don't need to be an attorney to see what happened. Uh, and by the way, the way that judges create uh, jury verdicts that they want is by determining what evidence is and is not allowed in. Oh yeah. Uh, you think oh, yeah. the juries they're the ultimate decider. No, if the judge makes sure that all you see is evidence that makes someone look guilty, the jury are going to find them guilty. And that's part of what happened in the Rucky case. In the Rucky case, during the custody trial, Sam, that's what Sandra was in Rucky goes by, her attorney conducted part of it handcuffed to a wheelchair. This is not in this dispute. There's video of it. Michelle McDonald's is her attorney. She's talked about it many times. The ju- they, they basically engineered a bogus arrest, would not let her out of the wheelchair, made her conduct part of the trial handcuffed to a wheelchair. Is there any surprise that David Rucky came out ahead in that particular custody trial? And then the judge, just as in the criminal case, uh, they answered a motion and said no evidence of abuse is allowed in. 
So you don't, you don't, pre, you're not able to present the evidence. And I, I compare when, in particular, a woman, when the woman is accused of parental alienation, it's very similar to being accused of a witch. Because the only way to prove it is to be burnt at the stake. And if you die, then you're not a witch. But then by that point, you're already dead. Uh, yes. The, in the Rocky case, Sam, Sam says she's abused. The five kids say they're abused. They refuse to be with dad. And the court says, well, we don't believe there's any abuse. So since all five kids refuse to have a good relationship with their father, the only possible explanation is parental alienation. Exactly. And in the case of proving somebody is a witch, mm-hmm. we're reminded of the uh, the words of the great philosophers, uh, Monty Python. Um, you know, how do you know she's a witch? And the one fellow says, she turned me into a newt. <laughs> I, got, I got better. Right. right. Uh, it's just, it, it's ridiculous. Look, let me, uh, you've been so patient to, to, to stay on with us so long here. I want to ask you about one more strange, strange story you covered. Mm-hmm. What is the deal with Judge Anthony Trulia? Uh, so, number one, is a very corrupt and biased judge who also seems to have a predilection for half-naked 18, 19, and 20-year-old girls. And so they're all over his Facebook page. It's not very judicial-like. He is married, supposedly. Shouldn't be flashing a bunch of uh, half-naked women, but he he granted sole custody to a woman uh, Rory Doyle, and I can't remember the woman's name, but Rory Doyle is her ex-husband who has a history of trying to commit suicide, of mental instability, of being on all sorts of drugs. He granted her sole custody. Aaron Perenzino went in front of him, and he was the last judge. Um, her ex has a history of domestic violence. He granted him sole custody, and Aaron, by the way, was accused of parental alienation. Gus Zuko went in front of him, Five years after his marriage ended, and he ordered Gus to pay $100,000 in back alimony five years after the marriage ended, and $2,000 a month, though somehow his ex-wife had managed to live on her own without Gus for five years. That's at least three cases. This is a very bad judge. Uh, the, The titillating part is the stuff with the half-naked women. They are all over his Facebook page. It does show where his mind is at. Do you really think it's a good idea for a judge who's deciding child custody to have the half-naked women? But the proof is in the pointing. There's at least three very troubling, very corrupt cases that he's involved in. And as I said, Connecticut goes way back with this stuff. There's a lot of uh, very troubling and corrupt uh, decisions in that state and if you get the book and i didn't write it and i won't get a dime if you buy it in the worst interest of the child by keith Harmon snow he covers over 70 of them uh he found over 70 cases uh that's not a large state to be able to find on your own over 70 cases means there's a lot going on in that state that is amazing Mm -hmm. well uh mike volpe we really appreciate you coming on this program with us today uh, you guys really need to subscribe to uh, uh, Brother Volpe's uh, Substack articles. Uh, Substack.com is where people write articles that the mainstream media a lot of times is ignoring. Mm-hmm. It's Michael Volpe, uh, V as in victory, michaelvolpe.substack.com. It's time for our Tweet of the Day, brought to you by Red River Auto, the big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom. 
including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice the way you want to online and have it delivered to your front door anywhere in the continental USA. Today's tweet of the day, well, it's bound to be on Twitter somewhere, but I can't really find it. Uh, Maybe you've heard this one before. Heard the one about the mathematician, the engineer, and the accountant? You ask the mathematician, what does 1 plus 1 equal? He looks at his calculator and says 2. Ask the engineer, what does 1 plus 1 equal? He draws a few diagrams, looks up and says 2. Ask an accountant, the CPA, the same question. He stands up, looks out the window, comes back, sits behind the desk and says, what do you want it to be? That's our tweet of the day brought to you by Red River Auto. This is going to be a first today. Uh, I don't think we've ever had a guest with us who, who gets to hear the outro to the show. So I'll just be saying, you've been watching episode 387 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. The views and opinions expressed on the Doc Washburn Show do not necessarily reflect those of our advertisers. But they love us and we love them. If you have any questions for us, email us. Contact at docwashburnshow.com. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy. This has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansource Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansour Sempier X, Senior Vice President, Engineering, IT, and Interoperability for the Doc Washburn Show. And that's the way it is. Friday, May 26, 2023.